Randy Bachman has become a legendary figure in the rock and roll world through his talent as a guitarist, songwriter, performer, and producer. Best known for his work in the Guess Who and Bachman Turner Overdrive, he's earned more than 120 gold and platinum album singles awards around the world for performing and producing. We're here today to talk about Randy Bachman's Vinyl Tap Stories, published by Penguin Canada. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Thank you. Great to be here. I'd like to focus on our shared love of collecting. Yeah. Specifically, what is it about collecting? What is it? It's the hunt. If you're a collector, you know anybody out there listening who collects thimbles or comic books or T-shirts. It's the hunt of like, you stop someone. You see a musician, where'd you get that guitar? Or you name the store, where'd you get that book? And they're using the book as a prop in the window, as a window dressing. Well, can I buy that book? Well, no, it's part of the window dressing. Well, when is the window dressing done? When are you changing windows? This Sunday, when the store is closed, you're putting in the new fall line. Can I, can I buy the book? Sure, it's only a prop. You can have it for a buck. And you're going, for a buck? Because this is a first edition by Edgar Allan Poe or something like that. And you kind of go crazy. It's that kind of thing, and it's just, it's the thrill of the hunt and the kill and taking it home and hanging the trophy on the wall or whatever and looking at it for a little while. Then it kind of fades and it's time for the next trophy. Why do you have it and well, other people came, don't have it? Mine came by accident. I had what I think the, what you're talking about is my Gretsch guitar collection. As a kid, I was like a classical violinist growing up from the age of five till about 14. The music was, which is very Royal Conservatory, British you know, classical music became repetitive, boring, etc., etc. Saw Elvis on TV and went, "Wow, what was that? Oh, that's called rock and roll. It's wild. It's insane. There's no notes written. You just go and do whatever you want. I want to do that." At the same time, I saw a guy named Lenny Bro who played that kind of Chad Atkins fingerstyle that Scotty Moore was playing behind Elvis. So. Although Elvis was the motivation for me to play guitar, Elvis wasn't a great guitar, but it was behind him with Scotty Moore doing that hybrid, bastardized version of Chad Atkins' fingerstyle and Merle Travis' style behind this new music, because it wasn't hillbilly anymore. It was this new thing called rock and roll with a big backbeat on the drum and stuff like that. And I saw a guy named Lenny Bro who played that style. He was a year older than me. I was 15, he was 16. And he had a big orange Gretsch guitar called the 6120, which is the orange Chet Atkins guitar. What, you saw it and you said, I want I saw one Lenny, of those? I saw Lenny Bro playing that and I said, I, I want to have one of those guitars. And I saw Dwayne Eddy play one on American Bandstand. And I saw pictures of Chet Atkins' albums where he was playing it. I saved up enough money. I missed one in, in Winnipeg. Neil Young bought it. He still has it. We grew up together in Winnipeg. I bought the next one. This is a store called Winnipeg Piano, which sold pianos, basically did guitar deals too. Got that Gretsch guitar, played it on Shake All Over, my first big hit in 64, 65. That was the big first Canadian record to get on the British charts by a band, I mean the U.S. charts by a band. I played that same guitar eight or nine or ten years later on uh, Taking Care of Business, played it on all the BTO stuff, and one day, uh, recording in Toronto at Phase One Studios doing the fifth BTO album, that guitar was left in the hotel room by a roadie, not by me and it was stolen. When it was stolen, I called the old Ontario Provincial Police, I gave the serial number, had the insurance on it, called the Mounties, called everybody and said, you'll probably never get your guitar again. It was before the internet, so I'd go to the public library. They had yellow pages. So I found all the little towns around Toronto, over the border in, in Buffalo and things like that, and would send them faxes or letters. I'm looking for this guitar, it's my right arm, it's my dog, I grew up with this dog, it's run away from home, it's been stolen and that whole thing and never got a reply back on my particular Gretsch and its serial number except 
We've got another grudge we took in as a trade-in. It's a green one. It's a white one. It's, it's We give the guy 100 bucks on it as a trade-in on new guitar. We want to make a half a buck on it, so you give him $150, and they're happy. You get the guitar. So I end up with one Gretsch. It's okay, but it's not my Gretsch. And I end up with six, and they're okay, but they're not my Gretsch. And you end up with 100. I end up with 385 Gretsches. And finally, I get a phone call from Fred Gretsch saying, everyone else is starting a museum. Like Martin started a museum. Gibson has a museum. Framus and the German makers were starting guitar museums. You own my museum. Can I buy it from you? And I said, yeah, yeah. And by then, it had been 25 years of collecting these guitars. At every garage show, every gig I went to, somebody would bring me a guitar, Gretsch guitar. The idea behind the collecting was the sense of loss that you wanted to. Yeah, to I wanted to get my Gretsch, loss. right? I wanted and to get it. So, what what point did it go from? I want to get my. The midlife crisis, and instead of a red Corvette and a blonde, it was find another guitar, find another guitar, find another guitar. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and it there's keeps a, you alive. There's a it? thing called an internet. Oh, show me that. Whoa! So suddenly that get it trains my brain into buying on eBay and all this kind of buying in Germany and things like that. Buying and buying and contacting people on email instead of sending faxes or sending letters and waiting for a letter to come back. I used to get monthly mailers at all these guitar uh, shops. You know, vintage guitar in L.A. and New York would send out monthly mailers of all the vintage stuff and then call them the minute I got it. I'd say, I want that guitar. I want that guitar. This doesn't have to happen anymore. It's instantly it comes up. Bing. Oh, new guitar. Bing, I buy the new guitar. You know, not a new one. I mean an old one. Collect it. And it became an obsession. But then it, it, the obsession gets replaced with other obsessions. Something in you says, besides your wife, says, enough already. We don't have any more room. <clears throat> right, exactly. You know, as my kids would move out, I'd go, wow, another bedroom. Is there a completionist in you? Like, are you able to get everything? Did you try and get all I never all got everything. I had, almost, I had them almost every model of Gretsch guitar in every color and every configuration. Okay. That they ever uh, produced. That they ever produced. Yeah. Going back to 1928, 1930, 1931, these were museum pieces. They were like Robert Johnson's guitars, you know what I mean? They were just amazing things. When I collect, I've just become interested in Coach House Press, for example really interesting little press not a Toronto started up in 65 there is a checklist is there such a thing for guitars yeah the catalogs get the 1932 catalog with some weird sepia cool looking lith lithograph kind of thing because it didn't have picture taking printing like they do now so to collect those catalogs those catalogs are 150 200 dollars to get that then it shows every model and every little nuance then because I bought them I became known as a Gretsch authority and I really wasn't, but I'd have guys email me or phone me and say, there's a guy in our store, he's got a so-and-so Gretsch, can you tell me what it should look like? And I yeah. said, just a minute, I'd run into my room where I had 150, off the 200 wall, right? on the wall, the headstock should have a horseshoe in it or, or a steer's head, it should have these kind of tuners, this kind of nut, it should be this kind of a neck, it should have these kind of markers, it should have these pickups, these kind of knobs, and scrap the whole thing, the guy'd say, great, what are, what are you? And I'd say, nothing. And he'd send me a Bigsby tremolo from the Gretsch or a knob, the odd little Gretsch piece, as a, as a thank you. And so I did all this kind of for fun just to help other guys out. Then that got to where Fred Gretsch heard about me. Now they're in a museum in Georgia. And has someone put it all into a bibliography? Yes. It's so, being done now. I had digital pictures taken of every guitar. You can go and tour the Gretsch Museum, which basically says the Randy Backman collection. And he's got a few other guitars from George Harrison and other famous Gretsch guys who just played them. I was a, a collector. And go down to the Georgia Museum in Savannah, Georgia and see that. And then when you're on the way out, buy the book with all the pictures of the whole thing. And a video of me saying goodbye to each one and playing it and putting it in the semi-trailer, which shipped it down to Georgia. You talked about your sons uh, going onto the driveway and putting out all the cases. and Well... 
I hang them on the walls. And then you put the cases in, in a garage or something, and to put the right guitar in the right case, because if you don't, you end up with a guitar that's 18 inches in the hips, and a case that's 16 inches. It's like trying to put your old teenage pants on. When you get to be our size, you're putting on your teenage size Or you're putting, putting the wrong jacket on the book. Yes. It was a fun exercise. It basically took me two years to sell. I had to document every guitar with serial number and, and origin. I had to prove to Fred Gretsch they weren't stolen. I had to have hold back money. So if somebody knew they were sold, that they wouldn't go to him within two years saying, well, that guitar was stolen out of Brooklyn and so-and-so, and it was sold to so-and-so, and then sold to Randy bought it unknowingly from a pawn dealer or at a garage sale or something. So And even if he didn't know, I didn't, tough. It's still, you're it's exactly, still, yeah. Okay, I'd like then to play a game here, if I could. Sure. I'd like to connect the books and the guitars or uh, albums, because I understand you collect albums as well. So... All musicians collect albums because that's how you learn to play. If you bought an album, you learned the whole album. By ear. If you bought a single, you, you learn both sides by ear, exactly, by listening yeah. to it and by copying it and emulating it and seeing where to play it. I'd also go to concerts to actually see the band play because you know, when you figure it out, you think you could play it, but I would take binoculars to a concert and go and watch, for example, Johnny and the Hurricanes or The Ventures and look through it and I would write down oh for the solo in Walk Don't Run he plays it on the 7th fret and I'd write that down for this little lick in the end of da 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 he plays it on the 14th fret and I'd go write it down then when I go to the 14th fret and try it, it miraculously would come to me the strings are slightly different on a guitar uh, going across the neck and um, that was a big eye opener to, to me but like I said learning to play by ear and not really having a formal teacher yeah. so you do have the vinyl I've got the vinyl I'm happy to see vinyls kind of coming back is it out of the reach of most people to be able to collect guitars I guess that's the first question depends how much money you have it's like collecting anything nobody can collect Rembrandts anymore Picasso's because they're into the 80 and 90 million or some of them are insane Insane. Uh, only these rich foreign guys who've got hundreds of millions to spend are buying up that last of the great art however if you have ten thousand dollars to spend you could probably buy two or three guitars uh, in the three to four thousand range of each one i mean vintage rock and roll guitars because that's what you want vintage rock and roll 50s fenders and gretsch guitars that chuck berry played or bo diddley played or or james burton actually or, played or no, but no, the, but same the same model. kind okay. if you can get what they actually played and prove it with the serial number ka-ching you've got 10 times the value so something's worth three grand it's going to be 30 grand but you can still go on ebay and find them can punch up 50, 55 Fender Stratocaster. They'll pop up. Somebody's selling a collection. My husband just passed away. This has been under his bed. There's still the under the bed and in the closet guitar. Okay. This says there's stamp collections and coin collections. Somebody passes away and let's go through grandpa's stuff. Oh, here's all those stupid stamps he's had for years. Let's sell them. Let's get a hundred bucks for them. Let's get a thousand. You're going, wow, a thousand bucks. I know there's a hundred thousand. It's like these guys that are now buying uh I see this on TV. Uh, dumpster wars, not yeah, dumpster. Yeah, no, uh, no, it's storage picker, wars. Or, or the pickers. American pickers. Pickers and storage. They buy yeah. a storage unit by looking in, and they, and they go in the it. back and they see, oh, a TV set, a gun, yeah. a rifle, a knife, and they sell it. And that's very exciting. I'd, I'd like to do that. Well, you do do that, though, with guitars. You have yeah, done that. You go into a music yeah. store and you find the one that, that rocks your world. Okay, so this is the first book that Coach House Press put out. It's got the imprint in the back. And I got Stan Bevington, who's the founder of Coach House Press, no. to sign it. This was a really out there small press. They produced some wonderful stuff, and it's not that expensive to get a hold of these. I wonder if you could give me the equivalent for an album. Who was one of the earliest cool Canadian rock and roll stars? And what albums should we get up there? So Canadian the first Canadian rock. record you want to get is Shake On All Over by The Guess Who. Our first single 
It's a white label. It says shake on all over in big black, but one inch high letters. And under it, it says guess who in a question mark. That's all it says. There was no label. There was nothing. When the record label got that song, they said, this is a hit song. What's your name? And we didn't have a name at the time. Because our name used to be The Reflections. Shout out on The Reflections. And there was a record by a band called The Reflections called Just Like Romeo and Juliet. We got a letter from the lawyer from Baltimore to change our name. They were already on the charts. We changed our name to Chad Allen The Expressions. We got a letter from another lawyer. There's a band in Detroit called The Expressions. We have to change our name. So we didn't have a name. We're going through books on butterflies and birds, ornithology and everything yeah. to try to get names, monarchs, and the, which are used by all the doo-wop bands and everything, and still being used and registered. So the label wants to release this record, and they just say, okay, until you find a name, we're going to put Guess Who on it. They have no idea. They make 50 copies of these. That's it that goes to radio stations. 50 with a white label that say, shake them over Guess Who. No quality records, nothing else. That song went to number one in Canada, and then got leased by Scepter Records in the States. It was top 20 in Billboard. Then they made the real record, and then they put Guess Who in, and that gave us our name, the Guess Who. We, we weren't called the Guess Who. We didn't like the name. We didn't pick it. It was given by the record label. If you could find one of those, and I recently was sent one free by a Vinyl Tap listener, because his friend had a jukebox in Prince Albert or North Battleford, Saskatchewan, or something like that, uh, and was just had given him the jukebox, and went through it and found the white label shaking all over and I'd mentioned on my radio show how rare this was. They'd only made 50 for 50 radio stations. And then that was the promo one. And then the rest came on quality records and everything. He sent me one of those. I and mean, if you could find one of those, there still might be out there. And these old 45 collectors or jukeboxing, that's a, probably a good 500 to $1,200 hit. It was in a jacket and, and is in good, in, condition, in good yeah. condition. Yeah, that's a good Canadiana. And a wild pair. Sorry? A wild pair, which was an album, a Coca-Cola album. Uh, you had to uh, send in 99 cents and 10 Coca-Cola caps. And you got this album that was uh, five songs by the Guess Who and five songs by the Staccatos who became Five Band Electrical Band. It was a, a great Ottawa band. And each of us had a side of an album. That album came out and through the promotion with Coke, sold like 90,000 copies. It should have been a gold or platinum record, except there was no record certification because it wasn't sold retail. It was a promotion where you sent the money and a little thing into Coca-Cola. They mailed you the Wild Pear album. And it's got a pear on it, cut in half. And the back is a picture of the Staccatos and the picture of the Guess Who. Five songs from Les Emerson who wrote, you know, Signs and all the other great five electrical band songs. And it was the beginning of Backman Cummings as a writing team to write that album. And from that, we went on to write These Eyes and Laughing and Undone and American Woman. So that was the beginning for us as a writing team. So that's also a very rare album. If you get one of those sealed, it's the same thing. Three or four or five hundred up to twelve hundred. It's a buy and sell thing. I'll take this much. Will you pay that much? It's, it's, that, it's the moment yeah. of buy-sell kind of thing. So that's another great collector. That's my, in my own world of collecting. What about some recommendations? Someone who's got, let's say, they've got a couple thousand bucks and they love vinyl. Where are the best deals? What's undervalued right now, do you think? I don't know the current mar market value because I, I stopped collecting them. But the best b bang for your buck is all of the Goodwills or Sally Ann's Salvation Army. Yeah, I understand that's where you you go to find them. You go them. to find them. But what, what are the... Elvis, what, yeah, it's the same thing. Same, it's the big name. Elvis thing. and the Beatles. Okay, but what about Canadian? Here's a great story for, for record collecting. Okay. Uncle so-and-so, who's now 89... This is in, in Tennessee. Is losing his mind and forgetting the car keys and whatever, and forgetting people's names. So his grandkids. This is a true story. This was in Discovery magazine, which is Discovery, right? On disc, it's old disc. 
they start to give them this herb, ginkgo bilba or biloba, or so I don't even know how to say it. You know, you know what I mean? Yes. <clears throat> this memory herb. So the grandpa starts taking this memory herb, and he starts having dreams. He starts remembering people's names and opening drawers and finding things that he put in there for years ago. And one night he wakes up in the middle of the night and he goes, our old house, our old house. And everybody's going, yeah, what about your old house? It's 1952 State Street in Memphis, Tennessee. And they go, what about it? He said, uh, I remember I was the promotion man for Sun Records, and they just made the first 45s, because up to that it was 78s of Elvis, That's All Right Mama. And the air conditioning duct downstairs was rattling, and I took a whole box of these 45s and stuck it in there to stop it from rattling. Go to the house. This is like, this is like in, what, 53 or 4 or something? They go to the house, they ask to see the house, they open the closet, and the people who are in the house are probably the 10 owners of the house. There's the box. They take it down. They say, this is ours. That's our grandpa's. The people let them have it. Those went for 14000 a single, and they had 25 or 24 of them or something like that in there. They were being, auctioned. They were being auctioned off through Discovery Magazine. There's a magazine. There are newspapers, monthlies, and Gold Mine's another one. So it's in either one of those. So those things are still out there. They still exist. They're in garage sales. They're in basements. And the, the, like I said, the ka is the Beatles and Elvis. If it's in good shape, you can get that Beatles butcher cover that was never really issued. That's absolutely twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars right now because the people who have money want things that other people don't have and yeah. those are the collectibles. But rarity is rarity, right. Bragging rights. Right. And the bragging rights and having a collection and then because there's more and more people like that all the time, because there's now these all these internet millionaires and all these young kids are making yeah. billions yeah. overnight. In all the, wanting the to do the same thing, yes. This is something tangible, isn't it? It's material. Yes. And they know it's going up in value, it's going up in value, it's going up in value. Especially if you buy a collection that someone else's labor and blood, sweat and tears or sweat equities in there, like my Gretsch collection was a lot of sweat equ equity, which I got a lot of money for. Printing and the saving and the, the getting and the, the, the schmoozing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the stuff's still out there. Collecting still goes on, as, as you see on all these cable channels of the bin divers, the, the pickers, buying the storage units and things like that. Amazing stuff out there. Let's just get into the book a bit, if we could. Sure. I'm not much of a music guitar guy, but I'm going to read out this foreign language. Sure. Double cutaway country gentleman. Gretsch 6120 Chet Atkins G brand. Les Paul with a Big Bigsby speed. vibrato tailpiece. Les Paul standard solid body with humbucker pickups. Mm -hmm. It's amazing you say that because I, I talk generally, that's part of my language. And I've got emails from people saying, What are you talking about? Well, on the radio show. Yes. And I said, What do you mean? You don't know what a double cutaway is? And my wife was doing the show with me at the time and reading the mail would say, well, for example, if you were in a room talking with brain surgeons, they're talking about aneurysms and CPRs and all these initials they use in abbreviations, you, you wouldn't know what they're talking about. I go, exactly, you're right. So I started to tell people this is a cutaway. There's a cutaway that allows you to slide your hand up there or else the guitar would end there and you could play a solo up here high. Yeah. Now, a double cutaway means it's like that on both sides. Your thumb can go up there as well and you can play fingerstyle up there. So that's a double cutaway. This is a humbucker pickup which means it's two pickups wound against each other and they cancel out each other and get rid of the hum because they changed the grid in North America in the mid-50s from going east, west, to north and south. And so if you have the wrong kind of pickup, if you're trying to record the guitar, it hums and buzzes. Unless you turn it around until it's following the grid and then the hum goes away and you have to play your solo laying sideways upside down. I see this in Vancouver a lot with Bon Jovi and Motley Crue out in the field in Vancouver, the playground across where the school is, waiting between recess, playing the guitar solo with headphones on 
because the guitar doesn't hum or buzz out there, so that's what the humbuckers did. They were so, invented by Les Paul and, and a couple of other guys. Right. And what you're doing with your radio show, and I listened to that particular episode, is you're drilling down, but you're also educating people well, so the, that they, they can is, share your passion. A woman said a pickup is you go to a bar and pick somebody up. I'd say, no, it's a, it's a microphone. If you wonder what a microphone is, there's one in your telephone. There's two yeah. of them there because the microphone really is a speaker. They're just in reverse. One plays the music back there and records it. Somehow, magically, your voice goes in, something vibrates, it goes down the wire, people hear it. I don't know how it works, but I know that is what, what works. And all these are on a guitar is high, highly sensitive magnetic things. You have to have metal strings. The sound somehow miraculously goes through that. Uh, so I explain all that on the, on the guitarology. I think what's so wonderful is that you are sharing your knowledge, but in a way you're drilling down into your own passion, which I suppose, does it not kind of expand it because you're actually sharing what you think is wonderful. I'm thrilled that it's wonderful to people. To me, it's my whole life. I've been a musician since I was five. All these things just come to me naturally. You've got to learn about them because they, they're your hammer and saw. They're your tools. And you've got to learn that you need four different hammers. One for big spikes, one for little tiny nails, one for finishing cupboards, one for hanging pictures, and just like guitars. You want to sound like Eric Clapton used to in Cream, you get a 335 or a Les Paul and a Marshall amp. You want to sound like Eric Clapton now, you get a Fender amp and a Fender Stratocaster guitar. It's just the certain givens. Or you want to copy that solo and get that sound the Beatles done in Hard Day's Night, you get a Rickenbacker 12-string guitar because you've seen pictures of them playing it in the movie, and you hope that's the right one. The problem with now is a lot of videos, they don't use in the video... The what right. they use on the records, yes. you get go and get the wrong guitar. You got to yes. do your research. So yep. that's really cool about about doing that. Well, and it's interesting for me because what I'm doing is I'm going out tracking down different publishers and founders of publishing houses, experts in those publishing houses, and then getting them to talk about what's important in their output, books that they may have produced, processes they may have used, and then hunting down those books. So that in the end, there'll be a whole series of interviews with the publishers about their publishing houses and an associated collection of books that you can look at and touch while you're listening to the interview. Is that what you're doing with the guitar? I guess so. I'm telling people what are certain rare guitars, certain things to collect, certain things to play. The best guitar to, to play is to go into a store and play every guitar. One will speak to you, or it won't, and you leave and go to the next store and find it. It's just like meeting the right woman or the right friend or whatever, you're the right mate for, you, you just hang out with someone and you either get along or you don't, and you're the right fit or you're not. It's like, same thing with a book. I get a lot of books, blow money on an airport, and then it's like, the first chapter doesn't grab me. I practice my book tearing skill and tear it in half, leave it in the seat. Oh, that's sacrilege, wait a minute. I know, I've, okay, had, people, wrap up there I've okay. had people tell me that. The okay. So I leave it for the next person. Or they come up, you let your book and say, it's not any good. If it doesn't get me, it's like a song. If it doesn't get you by the first chorus, why listen to the next three minutes of torture? It's like a book. Yeah, and it's also like collecting what you love. If you love Chuck Berry, every song's the same. If you like John Grisham, every book's the same. After a while, the sameness gets a little boring, and you skip the next John Grisham book, and you go to Lee Childs or something like that. I love about the Harry Reacher things. Now I'm getting bored with that. You fall in love something. again. Yes, I'm yeah. find, I find David Balducci or Dukey or whatever it is. You know, you, you, you then you get you buy their whole catalog over time. Or find Stevie Ray Vaughan and it's really rocks your world. You go and get all his albums yeah. being waved. Yeah, I'll oh, just in two seconds. Do you have a card? I might not have one. I'd like to get in touch with you. I'll uh, just wind up by uh, thanking you for sharing your uh, your passion. Thank you. I love. I love. And wish we could talk longer. Uh, likewise. And we never uh, got into our. Our game. Collections. Yeah.
but all that to say, uh, you've you've come out with a book called uh, Brandy Bachman's Vinyl Tap Stories, which is really a retelling of various stories that you've told on the radio, on the radio, so on, on CBC. CBC. Yeah. Best of luck with the book, and uh, thank you. Thanks for what you're doing. Thank you very much. I've been speaking with Randy Bachman, who, well, we know who he is. Thanks again. If you don't, you're not a comedian. <laughs>